Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. My name's Al Sedano, and with me today is... Bernie Finkelstein, the robot master, ready to tell you everything. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I've been reading too many Transformers issues lately. This is John Wilson, ready to talk about some Adam Warlock. And if you notice, I remembered the name of my show this time. I know, I was going to applaud you, but decided that would be like you know loud in the background and stuff. So That's okay, you're going loud, and when I said... My, I said my name and said and, and I put my hand out like to, to show you that it's your turn because you can see me. On the- and your wife's wondering, why are you pointing at me? <laughs> oh, no, she's in the other room watching TV. She's ignoring me. Okay. Which is smart. <laughs> anyway, we are back with more Warlock. Yes, nearing the end of this run. Issue seven, one more to go after this. But you wouldn't really quite be able to tell by the way this one ends. We'll talk more about that at the end. Yes. Well, in fact, we're not even near the, I mean, yeah, we're near the end of the run, but not near the end of the story. This is true. We still have, you know, three more big chapters that are very important that aren't going to be around for a while, but I guess, you know, yeah, again, more about months. that later. Well, this is that wonderful time in Marvel where, like, oh, the story got canceled. Put it somewhere else. But you know what? I like that. Oh, I love it. I, I like that. Okay, so from our perspective going back, it might be a little bit hard to find out where stories go, but hey, there's huge counts of websites that can help you out with that. But today, if somebody's story doesn't finish, knowing that it's likely to be finished in one of that writer's other books would be really awesome. I love that Superboy is appearing in Supergirl, um, or was appearing in Supergirl up until that that book's end, after he had his, you know, sort of fadeaway of his own title. And now he's back in Teen Titans, and I'm so happy! Yes, Teen Titans Annual, which was out this week, I think. I haven't read it yet, but yeah, it's there. I'm gonna yeah, read it. I read it today at lunch at work. Because, um, I mean, not not to not to discuss the debates of the New Fifty Two, but I, I do like Superboy as a character, and there have been lots of good things done with them um, in the midst of some other interesting choices that maybe I didn't enjoy so much. But just knowing that he was going to still be around somewhere doing something was good to know. And I wonder where Supergirl is going to be. No, I I really want to do that because I really like the Supergirl series, and I'm really a- a little disappointed that that's over. Yeah, yeah, so am I. And I do like Superboy. I mean, I still prefer the the one that had to start in the nineties that hit that you know that run. Mm-hmm. But in that version of the character, but I'm growing to like this one more, especially since they got away from some of those things that, like you said, they're you know little questionable decisions. He's closer to that character now, if you like, or actually, he's more closer to the Young Justice version, which I'm fine with. Yeah, the Young Justice cartoon version of Superboy. I feel like we've gotten to that point. And I'm fine with that version, too. Yeah. You know, it's a different one, but it's, it's different. It's not the Superboy I'm used to from the 90s Superboy series and the 90s Young Justice comic series. But it's still not a bad second choice for me. Right, right. It's a version of the character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are different ones out there. The, uh, the, um, the Adventure Comics revival of the character after he came back to life is very different in tone. <laughs> To the stuff from the '90s, so you know he, he goes through he goes through evolutions, but yeah. yeah. Speaking of evolutions and resurrections and people with orange skin, that was, that was my very awkward segue back to Adam Warlock. Oh yes, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So today we are talking about Warlock number seven. The brute is back from last issue. Hooray! Yes, he says sarcastically. Doom at the Earth's core. Yes, Doctor Doom is back. Oh. It says Dr. Doom on the cover. Is he Dr. Doom in this? I mean, do they call him that? No, he's Professor Doom. He's Professor Doom. He's Victor Von Doom. He's Actually, he's Professor Von Doom. Right. Because he's not just trying to scare people. That's just his name. 
So the cover is just taking advantage of who you know. Yeah. Even though this this version of Doom, he's like, Doom's behind me. Oh, good, he can help. Right. <laughs> and the the um the cover copy is trying to present him as a threat, but it's totally a up the nose surprise Gil Kane shot of Doctor Doom's face that is not threatening whatsoever. No, it's it's kind of like well, just using DC again. It's kind of like having a book where you know you have Ultraman, but they treat him like Superman on the cover. You know, he's like mm-hmm. waving and smiling to everybody, like hi, and then you get inside and Ultraman's killing people. Or, 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 it's Lex Luthor on the cover from Earth 3. Yes. Ooh, that's even closer. But he, it, it's definitely not a threatening expression. It's more of a, oh, my stars and garters yes. kind of expression. Yeah, this Doom's like, what? <laughs> Today, Warlock triumphs or he dies. And if you want to know what happens and how, whether Warlock triumphs or dies, hold on a second, and I'm about to drop in the synopsis of this issue right here. It's almost like that was planned. Almost. Almost. Warlock number seven. Doom at the Earth's core. Had a cover date of August 1973 and an on-sale date of approximately May 29th, 1973, with an original cover price of 20 cents. The writer's Mike Friedrich. Artist, Bob Brown. Inker, Tom Sutton. Letterer, Charlotte Jitter. Colorist, Stan Goldberg, editor Roy Thomas, and cover art is by Gil Kane and Frank Giacoa. A half-conscious Jason Gray relates to Adam and Professor Doom what happened to him and Adam's other friends. They were waiting in San Francisco for Estrella when they were attacked by an angry mob for being friends of Adam. They fought back, and David and Ellie were taken by the police, while Jason escaped. Angered to hear this, Adam leaves to find David and Ellie. Meanwhile, Back in a San Francisco police station, Ellie and David's fathers argue over what to do with the children. The senator claims they deserve what's coming to them for allying themselves with Warlock, while the colonel claims that Adam saved his daughter's life, and the police have no right to hold them. By the way, in case anyone forgets, the senator is David's father, and Ellie's father is the colonel. The death sergeant wants to hold the kids for 24 hours because there is an angry mob outside and he wants to protect them. On the Golden Gate Bridge, President Rex Carpenter is holding a press conference to recant his position on Adam Warlock. He is telling the public that he was wrong, and Warlock is a hero, while inwardly damning Warlock for forcing him into this position. We then switch our scene to see Reed Richards leaving San Francisco Army Hospital. A car from the President is waiting for him to escort him to a meeting with the President, but when he arrives, he is instead met by the same mysterious hypnotist who commanded him to attack Adam last issue. He is forcibly changed into the Brute again, and this time given access to all his Latin power in order to destroy Warlock. However, the Brute is feeling weak and needs to feed on energy. Back outside of the San Francisco police station, two mobs, one for and one against Warlock, meet and fight until Adam himself arrives to break it up, not taking any side himself. The police release David and Ellie into his charge, since the president has ended the manhunt for him, and Estrella finds and rejoins them. At this time, Professor Doom has returned to work in his lab, until the brute breaks in and steals an earth quarter that Doom was working on to take him down into the earth. Doom races to find Adam and the others, and they set out to find and stop the brute. Finally, finding the brute deep under the earth, Adam attempts to stop him, but the brute is fed on a lot of energy and is too powerful for Adam. 
Realizing that the brood has actually taken in too much energy and may explode, killing his friend Reed in the process, Doom sneaks aboard the Earth Corps to gimmick up a radiation absorber. It works, and the brute turns back into Reed Richards, but the Earth Corps explodes, killing Doom. Back on the surface, Adam creates a statue to memorialize Doom's sacrifice, for while Eddie Roberts' death still haunts him, Doom's death has given him hope that his life can have as much significance as Doom's death did. Dr. Hugh, what's got you geeked? Well, Paul, I'm geeked because we're recording our very first promo for GeekPod. What's GeekPod? GeekPod is a eclectic celebration of Nobody all things Nobody uses the word eclectic ever in real Seriously, life. Seriously, ever. <laughs> I mean, you're just trying to sound smart. <laughs> go on, go on. It's a call to action to let your geek flag fly proudly. See, that three times fast. No. The guys share their <laughs> opinions, the guys being us, and unique perspectives on everything from comic books the sports, and anything in between. No topic is off-limits. Come experience the show that's being called Intelligently Irreverent and Good-Naturedly Offensive. Who says that? Your mom. <laughs> that's just me, man. Just me. Geek Pod. Each and every week. Each and every week? Come on, okay. Now. So, <laughs> twice a month, maybe? Yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> One week and I'll show up. Come join in on the fun. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. That's geekpod.com. G33KPOD.com. And we're back. So, yeah, lots of drama. This is this is an interesting wrap up to the whole brute thing, the whole Doctor Doom Reed Richards thing, that I found myself enjoying more than I expected to. Because, like I said last time we talked about this, the brute story is really not one of my favorites. And I think what happened was the last time I read through this series is that I think I set down issue six like half read for weeks, and when mm. I came back to it, I was at the brute fight for the second half of the issue. And had kind of forgotten some of the treatment of the character because there is some pathos and there is some good stuff done with Reed Richards and everything earlier in the issue. But none of that was in my head when I was reading the second half of it weeks later. And so in my memory, our memories are tricky, folks. Our brains yeah. do things to us. Um, it's just not one of those things that sits well with me. And so I, you know, for whatever reason, I'm still that way. Well, I wonder but, if one of the reasons you like this one better than six is maybe because this one has more doom. And this do I like There is more doom. doom. I like him. Yes. I like this version of Doom. And although the brute is in this, it's this issue is not about that at all up until the very un, until the very end. Yeah, and the brute's very much as I'm reading it this time. I'm thinking the brute is very much the whole early Hulk. Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt last issue that he was the Hulk without being called the Hulk with a little bit of thing mixed in. Yeah. But he's very much like the Hulk. I mean, the whole personality change and everything, and the way how gruff and angry he is, like the very first, like the Hulk in the first what issue two? I forget because they had so many changes in those first six issues. Yeah, um, yeah, and it fluctuated. But even whenever he had um, his mind, he was still gruff and angry. So you know, 
discounting the issue where he's blank and under re- under Rick Jones's control for no reason. Um, there's <laughs> or has Banner's face and has to wear a mask <laughs> or has Banner's face and puts on a Hulk mask and then later on they take off the Hulk mask and now there's a Hulk face underneath and they're like, oh my god, it's a Hulk face underneath the Hulk face. Why is this happening? Call the commander. I don't know what to do. I promise people I'm going to try and see if I can get images of that to put up because it's, it's awesome. <laughs> we talked about it on Avengers Inspirations. It was some wacky, wacky stuff. Yeah, it is crazy. Those first, if you, just people honestly, just tangent real quick. If you've never read the first six issues of Hulk, from the early 60s, please try and find them. They're available on uh, Marvel Digital Unlimited, I know that. Pretty soon they're on Comicology, so you probably can all just buy them right now. They didn't know what to do with the Hulk, and every issue is just, let's go this way, let's go this way, let's try this, let's try this. Yeah, and there's a lot there that's really not that good, but I guess that could probably be said of the entire Hulk history in, in, in general. You know, for as, as much as people love the character, there's a lot of Hulk out there that's not that good. But if you just read the six issues, there's so much that makes you go, oh my gosh, what are you doing? It makes no sense. But um, but it has a strong start, I will say that. I like the beginning of the Hulk. Oh yeah, well the first issue is very much a horror story almost. I mean, if they were, well, I was thinking about this before the Hulk movie with Ed Norton came out. If they wanted to reboot the Hulk, they could almost do like a horror thing. I mean, like, like you know, him killing people in blood and guts, but... You know, just a very terrifying, like, what's going on to, you know, what's this monster appearing at night? Right, and playing to the Jekyll and Hyde aspect of it. Yeah, Jekyll, make it like a, yeah, like a Jekyll Hyde werewolf type thing. Right. Yeah. That would be a good, that would be a good way to go. I mean, they um, went, they did pretty, I, I like what they did with him in both the, that movie and also in Avengers, but that's a way they definitely could go with the Hulk. I could see that as being a Netflix uh, series. Yeah. Speaking of Netflix series... Oh, Daredevil comes out next week. Yeah, by the time this episode's out, we'll be Daredeviling. Oh, yeah. This episode will probably be out a few days after that. So, Daredevil was awesome, folks. You should go You should go watch it. Oh, I'm hoping it is. <laughs> so hoping. <laughs> okay, we have to go underground. Yes. That's right. So, oh, yeah, we start off, yeah, with Adams cradling Jason Gray in his arms. Yeah, and we got some fantastic Bob Brown artwork. We kind of um, praised his career last time and then took a little bit of the piss out of him because his first big splash page wasn't that great. But this one looks amazing. Oh, yeah. No, there's a, his artwork, is, I like it so much better in this issue. Uh, Mike Friedrich is still writing. Roy Thomas is editing. And, well, what happened was we have Jason, who is one of the three friends. Uh, he has been beaten and is unconscious, and he is awake enough to tell us why. And it's weird, because he was meeting up with his friends. They all got lynched, essentially. The two, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but just to use the common characteristic, the two white people got taken off by the police, and Jason was able to escape. But I was was just thinking about when I was reading this, that, like, you know, Estrella told Jason where Warlock would be, and Warlock was there because she told him there would be a, meeting, be a meeting with his friends. So Warlock was expecting to see Jason there. Yeah. Well, like we said last time, the plan was for Estrella just to use it as a way to get Warlock to where the brute could get to him. But it almost sounds like Estrella went a little further with the plan, went very uh, Johnny Depp character-wise and got really into character and told everybody where this meeting was, even though she probably shouldn't have. Right, and then whatever her plan was, she couldn't go through with it. She tells us later. She's a she's a much more interesting character than I remembered her being. 
Yeah. Oh, real quick, though, before we get past it, am I the only one who's entertained with all the rainbow of colors in the bottom of the splash page for all the uh, credits? <laughs> that is fun. I just That really popped for me. I just really like it. You know, Tom Sutton editors in blue, Bob Brown artists is in yellow, Charlotte hey, Jenner. Hey, our, our, our letterer is a chick. Yeah. I always like to, to point out when there are women in comics. Because, I just realized you know, that, too. It's such a sausage fest, usually. Yeah. And Stan, yeah, Stan Goldberg, I guess, was having fun with this. Yeah. <laughs> I can go all my colors out of the crayon box. I'm going to use everything here. Roy, you're orange. Well, we all knew that about Roy anyway. If he's greedy. <laughs> I was going with a random color association, but yeah, we could put avarice with it. That works. Oh, it's all the colors there. That's what I think of now when I see all these colors. I'm like, oh, there's hope. There's love. There's fear. Speaking of the emotional spectrum, did you see the announcement? What? Spectrum War. Star Trek slash Green Lantern miniseries Mighty W. Really? Yeah. Wow. So. Interesting. Hal Jordan versus Klingons. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only downside for me is Hal's always my last choice for lanterns. Yeah, but it's it's called Spectrum War, so I'm sure there'll be more lanterns in it. (sighs) I need Um, to see Guy in there. But anyway, so yeah, you can read you can read uh, the news about that. I didn't know about that. So, oh, breaking news! So President Carpenter has whipped the entire nation into a frenzy against um, Warlock and his friends. I'm starting to get a big Gethsemane vibe from this story, like the pre-crucifixion where everyone knows who Jesus is, and yeah. all kind of riled up about it. Yeah, and I'm really I'm a bit confused though. How did they know these people are Warlock's friends? Because it's, they really haven't. I mean, anything he's done with them has been kind of low key and like off the news radar. I mean, the one thing you could say of his that was really big in the news was the whole Deathbirds thing, but they weren't involved at all. No, it's a good point because there we've had some passage of time. Yeah, because remember he went he went into a cocoon for a while, and during that time, Rex Carpenter became president. So we're talking about a period of several months. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were. I'm sure, like, the main thing that probably got the people to notice about him was like the the fight with the uh, Triax at the military base. But while people would have seen him and talked about it, you would assume a military base they probably didn't have tons of people with cameras all over, you know, with the news, you know, showing, you know, broadcasting to the world. Yeah, I think it's one of those cases where. Just the writer forgets <laughs> there, there's there's a difference between what the reader knows and what the characters know. Yeah, and sometimes and, they forget that. Right. So, um, but yeah, there there's a bunch of blue collar workers for no, uh, you know, lynching these guys just because President Carpenter says Warlock's a national menace. That makes them all traitors. You said it, Russ. Let's get them. And big fight, fighting McFightenstein, and the police arrive and and. They say they're taking him off for protective custody, which later turns out to be pretty much a good thing. But right now it seems a little bit menacing. Yeah, because they even put protective custody in quotes. Yeah. And they're arresting the kids, saying they were the center of the riot, when obviously the kids were the victim of the riot. Yeah, yeah, you're the center of the riot. Yeah, I'm getting beaten by by a mob. (laughs) Right. Of course I'm at the center. You're You're in a mob beating somebody. You don't have them off to the side. It's a neat choice in the 70s to have the black guy be the one who doesn't get arrested. Yeah. You think they, you know, considering what they were going for here, you think they would have had him be the first one. 
Well, it just goes a little bit contrary to type. Yeah. And it's, it's nothing, it's nothing that's made a big deal out of. It's not anything important to the story at all. It just It's happens. just, there's a type, there's a stereotype out there, and this is not going along with that, and that's usually a good thing. Yeah. I just thought they might have done that because of the, you could see where Friedrich was going with a lot of these things. You would have think he would have had that happen because he would have used that to make a statement. Right. That's true. But, you know, I guess he decided not to, and just like we said, I like, like you, I like that, that he just had him just not get caught. He's telling Adam about it, and Adam, of course, is a little pissed off. Little bit. So much that he goes to rescue them and says weird quotes. Are you thinking about a friend in hiding is like a plant without flower? Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> um, I, I've been reading that like four times going, what? And that's weirdly poetic and weirdly nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the, the he may be mean water? Yeah. Like did, a pl- did Charlotte not call Mike up and go, Mike, did you mean to write this? <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure? Where did you hear that? I don't know. I was at a beatnik coffee bar and some guy Bernard was put, you know, was sprouting this stuff. It sounded good. Right. It was that's her happiness was a warm puppet, but I think Roy took that already. Happiness is a warm puppet. Happiness is two kinds of ice cream. Oh, sorry. They a little bit of Charlie Brown musical there for you. Oh. Yes. Oh, are you <laughs> no, kidding? Exactly. I I have that I have the supper time in my head every time I feed my dog. Oh, because he yeah. reacts like that. I I love I love that musical. We had the the record when we were kids growing up, and I got to see it performed once. And um, yeah, that's little, exactly what I, how I ha- know of it. My mom had the cast out, original cast album when I was growing up as a kid. Yeah, with all the with the 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 cover of it has like the dog cast and all the Charlie Brown paraphernalia like propped up against it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite songs was I forget I was never remember the name, the, the name of it is like Little Known Facts. Or something. Oh yeah. Where Lucy tells Linus how the world works. The snow comes up. Yes, just like the flowers. flowers. I'm pretty sure the snow comes down. Oh no, Charlie Brown! It looks like it's coming down, but the wind blows around and around and around. Yes. Nope. I I think I saw that on either Broadway or Off Broadway too when they had a revival of it a few years ago. It was mine was just low community theater, but it was cool because um, when I was a kid, one of the local channels that. Um, did a mix of national programming and regional programming, um, had a kids show that in between cartoons or whatever, they would have, you know, this local guy with a, with a puppet dog talking to the kids and interviewing people and doing a little variety stuff. And his name was BJ and BJ and the super ones was the name of this block of programming. And, um, so we go to see, oh no, I'm getting that mixed up with something else. Oh crap. That's into the woods. I went to go see into the woods and he played Jack. Oh, okay. Um, but at that same theater on another occasion, we went and saw the, uh, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And so those are the only two plays I ever saw with my mom, which is probably why they got mixed together in my head just now. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But yeah, so so um, yeah, you're so going to Charlie Brown. Lo- I saw my mom too, actually, when I went to see it. When I actually, it was pretty it. fun. Yeah, but yeah, like I said, the, the supper time song with Snoopy getting so excited—that's my dog. Supper time. He supper dances time. around like he has that song in his head, like he's singing it because he just, <laughs> this dog is just so 
the next time I feed him, I'm going to have to do a video and I'll send it to you or something because he just gets so thrilled and so obsessed with it that he'll run to the wall. Well, it's because you only feed him once a week, dude. You need to to give him food more often. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works. Okay, when I I feed him. So I'll I'll feed him again on Tuesday instead of next Saturday. I'll see him Tuesday and Saturday, twice a week. Twice a week. That's, 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 that's twice as good. So we get to people. The I feed the dog twice a day and he gets plenty of treats. Trust me, this dog does not eat. <laughs> Since we're recording, we should probably clear our names. Yeah. So this is going out there. I don't want people thinking I feed the dog once a week. No animals were harmed in the production of this podcast. This dog eats more than most people, more, more than I do, I think. But anyway. So. so Warlock's worried about his friends. Jason's all beat up. So he's going to go save, um, Ellie and, oh. uh, David. Ellie and David. I remember David remember Ellie's name. And we're getting a bit of an argument in the police house because um, Senator is wanting to set the kids free, but the colonel is wanting to keep them in jail because there are so many people out there who want them dead. Yeah, although the senator actually is – he says they deserve it. Because he's a dick. Oh, yeah, I got I got their roles confused. The senator wants to keep them in jail because – well, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah, and the colonel wants them free, but he wants them free because he thinks they're right. Right, and then the police chief is looking down, or the constable, or the commissioner, whoever that he sergeant, is. whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, the guy who sits on the tall desk in the front of the police. It place. looks like he's sitting like a judge. Well, they they do that. There are a lot of comics where you go into the police office, and there's like this one really tall police desk. I don't know. I've never seen that in real life, but evidently it happens. Well, it's because you never been to a police station with a 10-foot tall police officer. They have to have a tall desk. I guess. Maybe keeps them safe from any uh, roughnecks who might come in. Yes. So he actually recommends keeping the kids um, the full allowed 24 hours because for honest protection custody, not for quote-unquote protective custody. Yeah, he's like, there's a mob outside to lynch your kids on site. <laughs> like, we, they're probably better staying here. But then the president comes out and has a conference in the middle of a bridge because that's what presidents do. Well, to be fair, it's the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's the one that was just fixed. Oh, so. yeah, because they had that was the site of the attack. And he's because he, this is him kind of doing his fake mea culpa. Like I was a little wrong about Adam. I admit that. Like I'm willing to admit I made a mistake, and I've rescinded all my orders to take him in because obviously he's a great guy. Says a and that's basically insight. He's like son of a bitch. That oh, God, why can he just die? This right. guy is a jerk. Adam's such a jerk. So we get more um, Rex Carpenter mysterious mysteries going on. And he, uh, yeah, outwardly he's doing this because he has to sway sympathy because Warlock did just save a bunch of people, but he really wants to destroy the man for reasons that we still don't know or understand yet. We just know, but his power is too great not to be considered a threat. Right. So... It's like, does he have a fiendish plan, or is he just a paranoid political whack job? I vote for fiendish plan. Considering what that, yeah. We we know more than, than the person who has not read this. No, but I'm saying considering he's in the story, probably. Probably. I mean, it would probably be a really bad choice of writing to just have him just be generally, no, nah, I just thought you'd be a problem. So we get for the first time a name for the main Marvel Earth as opposed to Counter Earth. And they call it True Earth, which I'd never heard before. If we saw before, I don't remember seeing it. Oh, but, yeah. Um, that's right. Not a True Earth, Mr. Fantastic, did he become. 
Right. It's a little bit ethnocentrist or, or, uh, or, you know, whenever you're thinking of your own kind and your own person as being better than everybody else, a sort of the similar thinking that makes the main DC Earth Earth one and the other DC Earth Earth two, despite the fact that most of the characters in Earth two came before Earth one. Yeah, except I put it a little different because this Earth was actually created by somebody from the other Earth. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll you give know, you that. No one from Earth one came and created Earth two. Earth two was already there. Right. You know, but Counter-Earth was created by High Evolutionary, who comes from the true Earth. Although in current DC, the uh, main Earth is Earth Zero. And Earth yes. One is the is the uh, hardcover graphic novel Earth, and Earth Two is the usual Earth Two. The one that might not, I'm not I'm, it doesn't really have a good ending. <laughs> and Earth Prime is Earth 33. Yes. Okay. okay. But anyway. speaking of the present United States... Yes. <laughs> Who is not supreme, but yes. So anyway, you have this flashback of the brute. Which is taking us back to the previous issue's flashback. Yes, which is the brute basically being hypnotized. Right. We had a mysterious guy standing in a doorway, and it reminds us of the mysterious guy that he's there. Yes. It was I who caused you to be the brute, and it is I who now command you. So there's a bit of a clue who that is. Well, if you know how to put the pieces together, yeah. This page is, is you know, an interesting creation. Yeah, because it says here, but the Latin cosmic radiation and a mysterious guiding hand caused him to erupt years later into the brute. Oh, 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 okay. And we know there was some kind of guiding hand early on shown yep. in like Marvel Premiere 1. That it's kind of int- caused people to not have powers, so we don't have Spider-Man and Thor and all these other people running around here. But and he then did make a supervillain. Yeah, and then it says, then just days ago, the hand became a darkling figure and hypnotic eyes. So okay. if you've been listening to this podcast and reading along, people, you probably have a clue who the person is that's making the brute do stuff. <laughs> um. Okay, so we get some more flashback of the fight with the bridge, last issue. Yeah. And now... Oh, 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 before I say and now. On this page with the bridge flashback. Oh, panel four? Yes. Yes. I, first of all, didn't remember him turning the brute back into Reed Richards, but that's okay. But But then he says... that's That's not them changing, you know, forgetting what they wrote. That actually did happen. Okay. Because we talked but about the fact that it's like, how do you know who Reed Richards is? Because he said he recognized him from the real Earth. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's it's right. Like, that's you right. You never okay, met him. Too long. That's the problem with having a month between issues is I forget sometimes. And that's the benefit of having to do editing later on. I have to listen. I listen to these conversations like sometimes depending on how much I'm editing stuff. I listen to like sentences like four times over. So, yeah. <laughs> OK, so he turns the brute back into Reed Richards and it says the ability of the soul gem to strip things down to their essence, to pierce through and bring forth an object, a person's pure previous state, in effect to devolve it to what it once was, asterisk, and next-ish we explain how, believers. Roy Thomas and Mike Friedrich. So that is A, an explana- a promise to explain the soul gem next issue, which is cool, and B, it's not just Mike Friedrich. It's Roy Thomas and Mike Friedrich, because Roy Thomas still has his hand in the pot. Yes. And, of course, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, hmm, we definitely have to mention this, because I want to see whether they remember to do that or not. Mm. 
Yes, we'll have to wait for that and watch for that. Because I'm just wondering, I'm just ready to laugh and go, they forgot to explain. <laughs> but anyway, they, so. They, they put this gem on his forehead back in Marvel Premiere 1, and now they had to explain why. Now they finally have a clue. Hey, maybe this is what it is. But anyway, so the flashback's over, and Reed Richards is out of the hospital. And, and he, he gets taken in a presidential limo. Yes, the president's waiting for him. He wants to meet him, and he goes to the meeting with the president, but instead of the president, we have that mysterious dark figure who has his coat yes. over his face. When Richards arrives at his hotel, he is met in darkness, it, it, and it is not a part of a presidential audience. But we have basically Count Dracula, or the <laughs> Shadow, rather, yes. um, standing in the figure with a big old broad-brimmed hat. And he is the figure from the flashback, from last issue's flashback, that turned Reed into the brute, and now he does so again. Yeah, but he says, this time I'm making you, I'm giving you all the Latin power you have. So apparently the all. brute wasn't full power last time. So, Reed Richards, a.k.a. the brute, is being controlled by someone linked to the president, it seems. Hmm. hmm. Very interesting. Yes. And so now the brute's in the hotel, and he's smashing his way out. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that panel specifically is where I really were, made me think, oh, yeah, he's very much early Hulk. I was looking at these magazine covers to see if any of them are comics. But none of them look like comics that I would recognize. There's a lot of girls' faces on things. I don't see any would-be logos. No, yeah, it just seems all Because sometimes they'll do like the logos of their own comics on the comic stands. Yeah, it just looks like generic magazines. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be Millie, the model. Right. But Millie, the model, is long over. No, is she over by now? I don't really know, to say the truth. That's okay, because I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't care about Millie. Patsy Walker, I would care about more. Yes. Because I like Hellcat. Hellcat's fun. Although, if she ever joins the MCU, we're going to have to go back and get all those Patsy Walker issues. I think your daughter might kill you if she read those. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never Some read daughters them. wouldn't. Mine I, would. I've, I've never read them, so I can't say for certain. But I have a feeling the way their Patsy is, you know, they're going to be presented in those issues, and from what I've heard of your daughter's personality, does not mm -hmm. sound like she's going to enjoy those that much. Because <laughs> I was just, I was okay, thinking about it because so she's while, a first, yeah. uh, oh, that's not going to work. But I could laugh at that though, so that could be funny for me. So anyway, so the brute smashes his way out. <laughs> right. But apparently and something's wrong. My stomach is empty. I need food and energy. He's like the parasite now. Yeah. He's kind of like a mix. Actually, yeah. He was, I mean, I said the Hulk, but the Hulk isn't like this. He's more like a mix of the Hulk and uh, you, know, you said the parasite. That's perfect. And in that need lies the germ of Counter-Earth's doom. Dun, dun, dun. And we, we cut to the um, the hospital, or I guess the police station, yeah, we're back where police Warlock station. and his friends are. Yeah, well, Warlock's uh, not there yet. It's just Ellie and David. I love all the signs. What a friend we have in Warlock. Warlock saves! Lead us, Warlock. And on the other side is, get Warlock! Warlock is un-American! Well, yes, he is. He's orange and from space. And also, I like the fact that un-American is spelled with a K. There's I un think he doesn't have the spell. I and the C running together. Oh, wait, you might be right. 
I'm looking at it right now because I don't want to make clicking noises in the computer, so I'm looking at it on my phone, so it's it's a little small. Okay. But looking at it closer, I think you're right. It is the I and C. But it just kind of looked like it was an I a K, and I'm like, uh, dude, learn <laughs> like this guy's an idiot. He doesn't even know how to spell American. Well, they start to break out into fights, and Warlock shows up just in time to stop the fighting, but then the people who are pro-Warlock start attacking, and Warlock gets pissed. Yeah, because I love this, because Warlock is a... Yeah. And as a Christ analog, the last panel of this thing screams out in a very political manner, but hey, this is the comic we're talking about, so let's just do it. Yeah. He who acts with violence takes the side of those who oppose me. If anyone dares commit such acts in my behalf, I shall see he wishes he were never born. I shall not tolerate it. Although Which I, seems... What? Well, just as an analog to a Christ attitude, I mean, taking up violence and taking up arms and attacking people in the name of your faith and in the name of your religion, yeah, that, um, there's that... that. There is that, although, A, I do find it funny that he's basically saying, I'm going to beat the crap out of you if you beat up anybody. Yes, but God reserves that right. Yeah, but also, I will have to say, though, if I was there, I would have, I would not have heard all of it, because I would have heard, he who acts with violence takes the side of those who oppose me, and I would start going, wait, okay, so, act, wait, acts, that's a little confusing if you're just hearing it. Acts of violence takes the side, so I'm against you, that means, if I take the, okay, what was the rest of that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear the rest. I was figuring out the first part. It's like when Bilbo Baggins is doing his birthday speech. Yes. And, uh, I don't know. I know, you. I know less than half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like more than half of you, half as well as you deserve. Exactly. And it's like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, wait, hold on. Get, get the pie chart out. <laughs> I need a slide <laughs> rule and, and give me, give me carry, carry, carry the one. What's pie again? It's blueberry. Okay, good. Yes. Because they're hobbits. Right. And, um, yeah, I just love that last panel. I believe the expression is, that'll preach. Yeah. But that's still good. I like, I mean, I like, there's still the message behind it. And I mean, mm -hmm. theoretically, he, honestly, I mean, I'm joking a bit with that, but I mean, really, he doesn't really, he just says, I make him wish he wasn't born. Doesn't really mean he's a thing, violence. He's going to do violence for doing violence. But it's an interesting it kind of thing, though. Yeah. It, it is an interesting thing, though, that if uh, if you examine, well, yeah. So, Old Testament law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And yet, there are all these other indicators where you are supposed to kill when God commands, or God can do the killing. So it's like, you can't kill unless I tell you to kill, and then you can kill. So God reserves the right to order the killing, you can't just go do it on your own. Yeah. So you can't commit violence in my name, I will do the violence. So then the police show up and one guy's like arrests the gold skin freak. But gold skin freak is like, I just stopped a riot. I just stopped the fighting. Is that why you're going to arrest me for, for making things better? Yeah. And the cop says, yeah, I saw you did. And the white house called off their heat. So you're clear. And I like you got, I like the pre presentation because this still goes for today of the two extremes. The one extreme guy's thinking, bleeding liberal softy, no law and order these days, because he just doesn't like Warlock and wants him arrested, and the cop's like, I have no reason to, so why would I? Right. 
And then you got the other guy, freaking reactionary pig, only bends when you corner him. It's like, well, he wasn't really cornered. I mean, the, he already was like, yeah, I saw what you did, and there's no, your the manhunt's called off for you. So, yeah, I'm not going to arrest you. I have no reason to. But they're both looking at from their extreme pr- uh, points so, of view. Yeah, points of view. Thank you. Where if basically you're not going with them, then you are completely against them. Right. It is our tendency to um, polarize the opposite people. Yeah. Everyone who's with everyone who agrees 100 percent with me has to agree of 100 percent. And if you don't, you are so against me. Right. And sadly, that still fits right now. Yay, politics. Yay. So Ellie and David are now in the clear, although David kind of has longer than usual hair in that scene. He almost looks like a girl. Yeah. Which is not to say that only girls can have long hair. It's just his particular drawing of him. Yeah, the facial there is very soft. It looks very much like Ellie's. Yeah. But either way. But he's had long hair for most of this issue. He grew his hair out in the weeks. It is the 70s. He was protesting the president. He wasn't happy. He doesn't like Rex. <laughs> he doesn't trust him. And they leave the police station, and Estrella's back out of nowhere. And he's and Warlock's like, I want some explanations, and Estrella totally lies to them. And uh, this so confused me. She tells him, after I told you all, I learned it was a trap by your enemies. And they just say, oh, then we're grateful. Like, for what? It's one thing we said, oh, okay, we believe you, but what are they grateful for? For her just finding out it was a trap by her, their enemies, but not telling them? Yeah. Hmm. I'm like, well, what are they grateful for? You know, if he said, oh, well, then, okay, then, you know, we apologize. You know, if he said, oh, then I apologize for my accusation. That fits. But being, what are they grateful for? I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what they could be thinking of there. I, I'm not getting it, because... The end result is they're all back together again. They could be grateful for that. Yeah. But it's kind of like, that's kind of a byproduct of a byproduct of the fact that she got them all together. It's not really a direct result. Yeah, maybe, maybe that could be it, though. I do like Estrella's mixed feelings because, yes, she set them up. Yes, she was leading them into a trap, kind of, depending on how you read a couple issues ago. Yeah. and um, And yet... She couldn't go through with it. She couldn't spring the trap. And she doesn't like the fact that she can't tell them the truth. And she's having to lie to them to cover up her lies. Um, it's just her mixed feelings make her interesting. Yeah, the only reason, yeah, the only the question really is, for me at least right now, in, re- in reading this at least without knowing, for, pretending I don't know further stuff and forgetting what I do know, is why she's doing it. You know, you have to hope there's a good reason then why, because she really feels horrible about this. I mean, is she just part of the whoever is behind it, part of their inner circle? Is she being forced? Is she coerced? Like, that's what I want to know right now is why is she be doing this to them? Right. And honestly, her role in all this, I don't really remember. So I most I partially remember a chunk of why, but not fully. Okay. Because it's been a while since I read eight, and I'm kind of going with yeah, you. When like we you. started this, it had been a little while since I had read it, and as we've gone on, I mean, I I I retain the basic bare outline of how this plays out, but beyond that, it's it's all new stuff to me, basically. Again, yeah, I, I read this whole run through the Hulk issues before I recorded for Marvel Premiere number one, and we're coming near like a year on that, so so it's been a bit. 
yeah, I'm not. It's like I said, I'm remembering broad strokes, but not the uh, details. So it'll be interesting to see when we get to eight. But anyway, so we get away from them now. We're back to Von Doom. Yay! And we sort of have a a, a new plot introduced for the second half of the issue. Yes, apparently when Warlock left the safe house, Doom decided, okay, I'm going back to work. Right. Not sure what happened to David. Um, He was with them? Or no, Jason then. Oh, they left Jason back at the safe house, yeah. I guess he's just chilling there. Did Doom leave him there? Well, I guess no. I guess maybe he figured, well, it's a safe place for you, and no one's after Doom, so Doom could just go home. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking to see what happened at the end of that scene. Doom tells Warlock he should hide out for a while. President Carpenter has in the army after you. And he's like, no, a friend is hiding. A friend in hiding is like a plant without flower. Maybe yes. that's confused Doom. And so he left Jason there. Yeah, so I I think we'll have to find, hopefully we'll find out next issue because he does. I just came through real quick to check him. Yeah, we don't see he, him again at all this issue. Okay, so it's one of two things: either they left him at the safe house, or he's uh, Doom took him home, and he's chilling at Doom's house. But now Doom is back at work, working on the Earth Corer One, the first inner space exploration vehicle. So it's going inside. It's going to be shrunk down and go inside uh, someone's body. Inner space is one of those movies that I loved as a kid. I love that one too. Jack Tripper to the rescue. Right. And was that Martin Short? Yeah. That he was inside? Yeah. No, no, it was Martin Short was the one inside him. It was, um. Oh god, who was he inside of? Wow, that's right. Are you sure Martin Short was the one inside? Oh no, you're right. Martin Short, he was inside Martin Short. You're right. I'm mixing them up. Yeah, Martin Short was the one who had to awkwardly act like there wasn't a guy talking to his brain. Yes. You won't be small forever. And the uh, the brute slash Hulk slash thing stumbles in to talk to Doom, um, and he kind of sort of remembers being Reed, and he's sort of talking to Doom from that perspective, but then he's just confused and hungry, so he decides to beat up Doom, which sends the machine down into the Earth, which is where he wants to go to get some food. Oh, Dennis Quaid, real quick. That's Dennis Quaid, yes. Because I know from listening to things, if... We just dropped that. There were people yelling at their iPods going, it's Dennis Quaid, you morons. Right. Back when he had a career. Yes. Who was, who was the girl he was macking on in that one? Meg Ryan. Was it really Meg Ryan? Meg Ryan's the girlfriend in that movie. Oh, my gosh. No wonder I love that movie so much. Okay. Meg Ryan has like 15, 20 years on me, but I swear if she walked in the door right now and decided that she liked me, I would say, okay, well, Yes. Oh, I, I I don't know about current Meg Ryan, maybe, but I would say definitely Inner Space or Joe versus Volcano Meg Ryan. Or Harry Met Sally Meg Ryan. Eh, I'm okay with Harry Met Sally, but definitely Joe versus Volcano. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so he brute steals the uh, Earth Core. Right. And apparently has enough, of, as Doom thinks, he has enough of Reed's memory to uh, operate it. I and, guess he does. Maybe it's just like the go button. Is well, all it takes to make it go. Yeah, I guess it depends on how complex they made it. But, you know, drilling down into the earth is actually a really complex thing. Um, the the currently deepest hole that we have drilled into the earth goes down several miles and is actually a little bit deeper than the deepest known part of the ocean. As far as, you know, we, we feel like, I think we think we know how deep the deepest part of the ocean is. 
and the uh, there is one hole in the earth that goes down farther than that. But oh, wow. it's so hot at the bottom of it that they couldn't keep drilling, and so it was abandoned in the 90s. And the pressure but probably, too. The hole is still there, though. I remember, like, Doctor Who, Inferno, and stuff, where drilling down into your earth would release evil and stuff, but um turns out, no. Or Silurians. Silurians and those weird werewolf zombies. Lots of stuff. And... Well, and I guess here, at least they don't have to worry, in this one, they don't have to worry about, you know, Moloids or Tyrannus. <laughs> Yet on this Earth, they can just drill down. Yeah, there's no, you know, five miles of under... I mean, actually, it's probably easier than the regular Marvel works, because there's, like, so many catacombs and undersea kingdoms that you just kind of... We just got to drill, like, half a mile, and the Mole Man's there. Right. You cut it, cut it right there, you drill another two miles, and then you got Tyrannus's lair, and then you just go... You just drive right through. Don't forget Kala. Oh, yeah. That's right, Kala. That was the one from Iron Man, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Doom so decides Doom we're in trouble. Doom gets his car and drives off to tell Warlock what's up. And Warlock is still just standing on a street corner with Dave and Ellie. And Doom just finds them. So I get the impression, <laughs> like, apparently this was so urgent that Doom had to drive around the city for, like, 20, 30, you know, an hour and a half before he found them. It's like, they're here somewhere, right? So... His his uh, the the brute's parasite hunger is so much that he wants geothermal energy, and if he drinks enough heat, not he'll die, but the globe will turn into a snowball. So apparently, Doom feels that this brute's so powerful he's gonna because you would assume it'd be like saying this guy's so thirsty he's gonna drink all the water, or you know this guy's thirsty he might drink like a couple cups. There's a lot of energy in the earth. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's a lot of heat. That deepest hole we were talking about, compared to the radius of the Earth, it's a speck. Now, the one thing I could think of that, fi- that fixes, not fixes this, but makes it okay, is like we said, this is counter Earth. So really, up until Warlock appeared, Doom was probably the closest they had to, like, the superheroes or anything, because he has that big weird mask on. Right. But then you have Adam Warlock, who does these things, and now the Brutes appeared, so, they, I'm gonna going with maybe they're just like, what the hell? Oh my god, he's sucking. He's gonna suck everything away because they don't have any frame of reference. Okay, it's okay. not like, oh well, how much is gonna suck? I mean, we got this guy who sucks energy, but it doesn't do that much. The absorbing man sucks energy from people, but it's not like he kills them. You know, there's no frame of reference here. It's this is this new freaky thing. I, I don't know what's gonna happen. Maybe he's gonna just kill everybody. You know, maybe yeah, and I'm not entirely up. sure what the limits were on 1973 levels of, of like, Earth science. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> like how much, we, how much did we understand at that point of how the Earth was constructed? I honestly don't know. Yeah. Ten years earlier, our knowledge of space was so drastically smaller than it is now. Yeah. At least not what science had discovered, but what was public knowledge and common understanding of the universe. That sort of thing, you know? Yeah. It's like the common, the common man, what you know, with a, with a with a common level of education, can watch a 1960s episode of Doctor Who, and whenever they get the words solar system and galaxy mixed up, they can say that's dumb. But in 1963, a child watching probably doesn't know the differences in those terms, unless they're a space nut. Exactly. So there's that. Applying that here, we don't know how much people really understood about the Earth. It's possible that you know they might not realize that much then. And like I said, also that's my theory is that they just this is so new to them, right? 
that they don't know what could happen because they have no frame of reference for it. This is just a brand new freaky thing that's never happened before. I do, however, love the last panel because Warlock's like, then our path is clear. We journey to the Earth's core. And Doom says, and let's hope I am the only Doom we find there. And like, everyone stops and looks at him, really. Is that really what you're going to say? We're going to go try to save the Earth and you're making puns about your own name? I mean, is that what we're doing today? <laughs> well, Doom's getting to his role. I mean, if Adam's their Superman, he's their Jimmy Olsen, basically. <laughs> Dr. Doom is Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> it's Warlock's pal, Dr. Doom. <laughs> yes. yes. So he's got to go for the puns. I don't think Warlock understands puns. I think... They would go over his head, except that his reflexes are too fast, and he would catch them. <laughs> <He> would catch them. <laughs> but I like this Doom. I mean, yeah, he makes bad jokes, but he's he's a very human Doom. He is. He's a Doom without all that ego. Um, we cut ahead to some sort of, like, car that is driving flat, but somehow going down into the Earth. Well, because Warlock's blast, you know, making a tunnel for them. And but Doom why, apparently... why are they falling? Science. <laughs> no, science makes me ask, why are they not falling? <laughs> oh, um, su- super science? Yes, super science. And yeah. um, it says seeming eternities later. So I'm envisioning them, like, cross crisscrossing all over the continental plate trying to find this man. Well, because actually, yeah, there's, wait a minute. So the the brute steals this earth core and it tunnels into the earth and they feel they have to go after him. Okay. So Professor Doom apparently cobbles together from, I guess, other equipment, uh, an auxiliary vehicle that can at least take them down safely. But why do they have Warlock tunneling? Don't, why, just take, take the tunnel that the brute made because that's where he is. Yeah. It just, it doesn't quite make sense. But eventually they do find him, and he's like, here is food, energy sponged into me like water. I mean, what, what, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I have to say, last time we were talking about it, there were some issues with the art. I have no issues with the art. It's more story this time. Because like I said, why does Warlock have to tunnel if there's a tunnel already for the follow? It's, um... I'm catching up on Fantastic Cast, and I'm just recently listening to the episode where Claw, like the second time Claw comes back, and he's looking for the Black Panther for revenge. So he goes to the Baxter building, because he has no idea where the, the Black Panther would be, and they're both saying, why don't you try the kingdom that he rules that you know about? <laughs> There's a good chance he would be there. Where, like, your entire story up to this point has been based. Yeah. You know all about it. You're one of the few outsiders that do. Why don't you go there? Look there first. You know, try the guy's house. Then try his friends. But don't go, you know, don't go there first. And that's like right. this. It's like, we're going to follow this guy's tunnel by making our own tunnel and trying to find him. Just follow his tunnel. Follow his tunnel. You don't have to waste energy making a tunnel. But now that Brute's like Goku, now that he's eaten, he can fight. Yes, because he's hungry. Right. He he was supposed to kill Warlock, but he had to get some food first. Why he didn't go to McDonald's, I don't, I don't know. know. 
Yes. Middle of the earth, much better place for energy. Oh, it's probably healthier than McDonald's, to be fair. <laughs> Direct geothermal sl- uh, sluicing is, is more is better for him. Your saw su- he saw supersize me. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And he realizes Ooh, that might not be a bad idea, even though I like the apple pies. Mm. Now that the brute is at full power, however, he is immune to the soul, not soul gem anymore, soul jewel. Yes. He's all like, ooh, that tickles, like Superman and Lightning. And now he can actually make his own energy blasts. Yeah, I'm so charged up, I only have to think, and you fall, Warlock. So I'm going to think again, and think again, and think again until you're dead. And to be fair, that's probably how many times a brute's actually thinking. Right. <laughs> He's got some teeth, though, on that panel. Yeah, well, he, like I said last time, he, they kind of draw him, they don't always remember to do it, but they draw him a lot of times like an overbite. I mean, he's, like I said, he's their version of the Hulk, but he's very much more like gorilla, you know, gorilla type than right. the Hulk was. And he beats Warlock. Yeah. Warlock is on his knees, feeling defeated. The Brute has triumphed when Doom is like, uh, I'm going to help. Yeah. I don't think this whole critical mass bit is really the way atom bombs work. No, I didn't think so either. Maybe he means like more like a uh, nuclear power plant. Because his, his mass hasn't changed. Yeah. He's still brute. He's still the same size. But regardless, Doom decides to save the day. He, uh, he dashes toward Earthcore 1 to gimmick up a radiation absorber. He has enough, you know, like, chewing gum and popsicle sticks and some, some uh, Christmas lights yes. on board the Earth core, so he's going to use all that to make a radiation absorber. He was able to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Exactly. <laughs> That's he does. who he, he is. I have to wonder, when they, when they created this, were they watching Doctor Who? He's John Pertwee. He is a bit of Pertwee, isn't he? I'm getting a bit of the vibe of that, I'm realizing. I'm like, I wonder if that's who they kind of, like, if that was a bit of the idea for the, this version of Doom. Because this would be about the right scientist. time. Because this would be about the right, right time for it. Yeah. Yeah, Pertwee would be well underway at this point. He came on in 1970. Yeah, he was like, so what, 73 or 4, right? Until 70, yeah, because that's around the time that um, Tom Baker took over. So if Pertwee has made it to the States, I honestly have no idea what the PBS broadcasting was like. No, me either, race. but let's just assume that it was there by then. Let's just right. hold that for now, because this was came out covered in August seventy three, so this is definitely well into Perchway. Right near the end of Perchway, so we probably have got at least some of it by now. So Doom is a little bit of the action scientist, a bit of a bit of Perchway, and um, he jumps on and he crosses a few wires in the installed radiation shield to convert it to a radiation absorber. He has to move closer, and and luckily they put a loudspeaker on this Earth core thing. Yes. So you can talk to Warlock. And when, you, when you're tunneling into the Earth, you need a loudspeaker. To actually, not just a loudspeaker, but also a receiver. Right. Because he, he was talking to the Moloids in Tyrannus. You had to tell them to get out of the way. Because <laughs> he was hoping, because, yeah, he could hear Warlock respond to him. Now, Von Doom, you only place yourself in danger. Nonetheless, I am serious, regardless of other pun jokes I made earlier. When I give the signal, hit him with every erg you've got. Oh, it's a it's a funny word. It is a weird unit of energy thing. Um, so they sluice off the radiation from the brute, 
he converts back into Reed Richards, but yeah. now all of that energy has to go somewhere. Yeah, because he's doom sucking all the energy at once. And, and despite sucks. the house ad for the monster of Frankenstein and the roaches and the thing in the lifeboat for Monsters Unleashed, we have. Um, oh, I wish I had those. I just, I'm on the unlimited today, so I don't have any ads. Oh, it's the only interesting ad we've seen so far. It's a cool house ad for a Monsters Unleashed comic. I I need to read those Frankenstein's. I, I really want to get into some seventies Marvel horror. I have actually. I do have the three volumes of Tomb of Dracula Essential plus the volume the Werewolf by Night one, and uh, volume two of the Random Marvel Horror because it just has like they have like two volumes of like the Essential Marvel Horror, which just has like all the random horror characters only have like an issue or two or three. Mm-hmm. So like it's the Living Colossus and Scarecrow. Things like that. Gotcha. It's so much fun. I just need the Frankenstein one. Anyway, speaking of that, so, Doom's saying that he has to get rid of the excess radiation or they'll all die, and then before he can do much about it... The, um... The machine explodes. Yeah, it goes kablooey. With Doom still inside, and Warlock shields... Reed Richards from the blast. Now, he shields Reed Richards from the blast. Where are Dave and Ellie during all this? Um, well, let's go back. Let me go back here real quick. When we last see Doom talking to them, I guess, okay, they're out there in a cave, but I guess maybe they do have Ellie and Estrella. She's there, too. We have to assume they got back in the uh, car. Okay, so they were hiding in a cave, and then they're back up top. So I guess they did, yeah, get back in the car maybe, or at least were shielded from the blast somehow. Yeah. Reed Richards was right there, so Warlock had to shield him. Yeah. But I have to assume they got back in the car while Doom was running to the Earth core. It's kind of a dramatic ending, and we have some nice pathos from Adam Warlock. He says, because he's, he's, um, they're back out. And he starts grabbing some rocks and, and, and heating them and molding them and, and fashioning them, melting them down with his soul gem energy. And he says, would I could fashion the world as I do this molten rock, not to shape man's destiny, but to prevent senseless death, but such as not to be. And th- that part has some really cool meaning to it. Just that, you know, for all his power, he can't change the way the world operates. Yeah. But this is also Warlock's, I mean, like he says, suffering another death of a, someone, a friend of his. I mean, very soon afterwards. I mean, yeah, this is a bi-monthly-ish series, but still, Eddie Roberts only died in issue four. We're now on seven, and another person, supporting character has died. Right. But I guess for Warlock, it's less, this is a little less senseless. At least Doom died trying, you know, doing something that he believed yeah, in. And- Eddie just died because, you know, Triax is a dick. And the things he says about senseless death are good, but before we get to that, I, I, just, I, I was thinking about, like, like, okay, so the Christ analog. You know, Christ is, is God in flesh. He's, he's a human deity. And the, the whole crux of that view of humanity is that the human will and the human choice is something that God can't or won't go against. And so Jesus slash Adam Warlock, he can fashion the world. He has the power to create a planet or at least to, to, to like move mountains. 
but he can't change human choices. Yeah, he and can't fix so people. It's, it's, he can't fix people. And it's just, it's, it's a neat commentary. But yeah, then he goes on to say, death has no meaning to the dead. Their journey is made. It's the living who give it meaning for each other. And that's a really cool way to look at death. Mm. I like that. Like, yeah, for okay, the people so, who are dead, it doesn't mean anything to, you know, they're dead now. So, yeah. It doesn't. We're the ones who give that meaning or take meaning away from it. Well, it's like, I mean, people have said this before. I've, you know, not maybe in like series, but like, you know, in life to me, it's like, we've talked about it, like, uh, for a funeral, you don't always, you're not going to the funeral for the person who died so much. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're going for the people they left behind. Right. You know, whether like, that be yourself if you're close to the person or your friends because they're close to the person. Exactly. Or you're, or, you know, or each other. You know, you're go, you know, you're someone your family dies, you're not so much going because that person died. You're going for your relatives that were also close to them and they're going for you. Right. Because you're the ones that are still there. You, you're the ones that have to deal with it. The person who's dead, unfortunately, you know, not to be callous, but they don't have to worry about anything anymore. They're gone. You know, whether it was good or bad, way they went out, you know, whether it was peaceful, whether it was, you know, they were young or they were 99 years old, and it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, time to go. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who have to decide how to react to it, and and death is never a good thing, and yet it's also completely and totally normal. Yeah. Everyone dies differently. No one knows when they're going to go. It can be through age. It can be through violence. It can be, but, but all of that happened has happened billions of times. Yeah. And it's going to happen so to everybody. This particular death, it's not unusual, but it's up to us to have to deal with those specific circumstances because they're close to us. Now we have to choose how to respond. And, and I like that he takes this violent death and turns it into a statue of hope. Yes. So he's and he's learned. So the character himself is learning because last time he his reaction to death was to run away, freak out, crawl into a cocoon. Yeah. Eddie died, and he was like, "I don't know what to do now, and I don't want to deal with this." And now he's like, "I'm going to." He's yeah, like you said, it's made to a statue of hope. He's going to try harder. To have hope that our lives can have such significance at our deaths as did his. Which is, which is, you know, sorry to cross the streams, a very Klingon way of thinking. Yeah. Because to the Klingon culture, death is a well-accepted aspect of reality, but to make your death count, to give it honor, to give it purpose, to give it meaning, which is why so many want to go out in battle, because that's saving the day and, and, yeah. and everything. And, um, it's a nice statue, too. It is a nice statue with him holding the globe in his hands. It's it's such a great way for this doom to go out. It kind of puts the stamp on the difference between counter earth doom and true earth doom, you know? Yeah. And as much as I don't like the fact that he I mean, I wish we could have had more of the character, considering that really in essence, as far as I know, for this version of Counter Earth, because it's been like I think three versions now. Maybe more that I but it's three that I there have been three versions of Counter-Earth that I know of. This version of Counter-Earth really only has, from what I, understand, what I remember, and I could be wrong, but I remember the next issue Warlock and like the three issues of Hulk that come out that Warlock is involved in, and that's pretty much it. 
Yes, I, I didn't even realize there were other different Counter Earths. I thought Counter Earth's story was over with this. Yeah, no, Counter Earth. Um, Heroes Reborn in the nineties when they uh-huh. did onslaught and just quick reference for people who didn't know this, when they did the onslaught crossover and they took the fantastic four and the Avengers and Iron Man and Thor away from the regular Marvel earth. And they put them in their own little, you know, the heroes were born world, their own little pocket universe, so to speak. When mm-hmm. they brought them back from that counter earth ended up at some point afterwards coming into the regular Marvel universe. And that, be- that earth became counter earth. It actually was on the opposite side of the sun for a while. Interesting. That's actually how the Bucky from that Earth, the girl Bucky, came to the regular Marvel Earth eventually. Because they were in the same universe now. And I don't know, and actually for a while in that time period, Doom actually was pretty much in charge of most of that Earth. He took it over and was over there. He wasn't even on the regular Marvel Earth. He was on Counter-Earth. And I don't know what happened to it, but it's gone. it went away at some point. And right now in Uncanny Avengers, the High Evolutionary has created a new Counter-Earth. And that's where the first few issues of, that, of the current Uncanny Avengers run is, is taking place. I remember seeing something about Counter-Earth in the solicits, now that you mentioned that. That's interesting. Okay. Yes, and the High Evolutionary is much more of a dick. <laughs> he's creating those whole races, and then he's like, nah, and he's letting them have their lives and their culture, whatever. And then he just goes... Nah, no, I'm not ready. Not not good enough. You're all. I'm killing you all. And just well, that has. If we continue to draw the the biblical analogs, that has a lot of commentaries on the whole Noah's flood type of thing. Yeah, except he doesn't change it. He doesn't go. Okay, I'm going to let some of you live, and you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have done this, so I won't do it again. He just. It's like instead, it's like the opposite guy. You know, if God had said, you know what, I like doing this. I'm going to do it again. Except I'm not going to let any of you survive. And then I'm going to do it again, and again, and again. Okay, so we're at the end of the issue. Yes. And on this last page, we also have, towards the bottom, a plaque on the statue that says, Victor Von Doom, he died that another might have life. Which, A, feeds into the Christ metaphor. Um, Not really the Christ metaphor per se, but the themes of Christ. Christ. Yes. And then the second half, no greater love or life can a man have than this. And I just, that stood out to me because we had that same quote recently on Avengers Inspirations with, um, with the death of Dave the Ant. Oh, yes. Poor Dave. Poor Dave. However, the very next Ant-Man story, we started calling him Dave again. So Dave is dead. Long live Dave. <laughs> You're just like Dave. Let's just pretend. Do you ever see Beer Fest? I did not. It's, uh, you know, bro, you, you see Super Troopers? I saw Starship Troopers. No, Super Troopers. Negative, Captain. I have not seen that. Okay, well, that one's better. That one's, uh, that's funny. I would definitely recommend seeing that. But it's by, like, a comedy group called Broken Lizard. Beer okay. Fest is one of their other movies. So it's like, it's like a bunch of guys who get together, and they, they all play different characters, and it's all different things in the movies, but they're all the same people in it. Mm-hmm. And in Beer Fest, one of their, one of the members, one of the, characters dies and then his twin quote unquote twin brother because you know same actor shows up and wants to join their drinking competition and they're like I forget the guy's name but it's like hey can we just call you by your brother's name he's like yeah like oh so it's like he never even died at all 
<laughs> and then they just go on with the movie, calling him by the guy's same the same name. Well, that's just like comics, because like the ox, you know, the ox from the Enforcers. Yeah, that's right. He dies, right? He dies, and his brother comes back just like him. <laughs> and then after a while, it's like they forgot that they're brothers because they talk about the ox, and he has memories from the previous ox's career. So it's like they just forget that one died and it's the brother. We just replaced you. We forgot you even existed. <laughs> or um, or um, in Ultimates, whenever Tony Stark gets a new Jarvis, the guy who who is his new Jarvis like says, oh, by the way, my name is Edwin or whatever. And Tony's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I needed a new Jarvis. So you're Jarvis <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty much everyone in the Ultimates is a dick, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, especially Ultimate Cap. It stands out so much with Cap because yeah. he is so different to his regular version. Yeah, Miller, I like some of Miller's stuff, but a lot of times he writes everybody so... Everyone's mean. Yeah. It's it's the realism thing, because people really are jerks, and if you had power, you'd probably be more of a jerk. Yeah, it's, one th- it's actually one thing I liked about his... Uh, recently, he just did a thing called Starlight. Which is basically like, uh, basically think Flash Gordon, and Flash Gordon can't, you know, did whatever he did, came back to Earth, retired, cause no one believed him, got married, and now he's like 70 years old, 65 years old, and he's called back because Ming took over that alien planet again. Miller and, is, has really been not, doing the whole like, retired heroes thing lately. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not mean, it doesn't read that way, like it's not a mean spirited thing. Well, that's cool. You know, he doesn't take the piss out of this whole thing. The guy who's playing the Flash Gordon character isn't an ass. Is Starlight part of the Millerverse thing that he's trying to build? I I think so. I don't really know very much about that, though. Because I liked what I read of Jupiter's Legacy or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, and and then I liked the idea Circle. Circle. I saw an advertisement for Right. But the guy has so many delays in his writing that if he tried to make a shared universe, it was all him. Oh my god! Yeah, I he would die before he got any progress in it. I don't know if it is because, like, I know I was not happy with his um, authority because it was definitely a very much different authority than the first twelve issues by Ellis. Like oh. in those first twelve issues, they're very much like they'll kill, but a lot of them are like, I don't really want to. You know, I'd rather not. I will if I have to. But and then Miller comes hurt. on and is like, kill all the things. Yeah, and they're like, let's just kill things and have sex with random people. We don't give a fuck. We don't give a damn. No, they they gave lots of fucks. That was the problem. Well, yeah. But in the uh, like compared to those two, like you look at those two and you're like, I'm thinking of reading those things, going like, if the version of the authority from issue one to twelve saw you guys, they would take you guys out in a second because they would think you were horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Jenny Sparks goes away, and it's like everyone's like, that's it, woohoo, no more morals. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, she's dead. I liked, um, she was my favorite part of New 52 Stormwatch. Not Jenny Sparks, they didn't call her Jenny Sparks, but Jenny, um. Quantum. Quantum. Well, yeah. no, cause that wasn't, that was in the original version. That was the new, Jenny Sparks was the spirit of the 20th century. And she died and then was born the new one, the spirit of the 21st century. Jenny Quantum. Huh. Interesting. Now, I don't remember whether they had her have her memories or not, but basically she was like a successor. I don't think she did. I don't think she had memories. I think it was weird to her that she was a, a century baby or whatever. Yeah, because, well, after, like I said, after the first use of the uh, Miller one, I was like, okay, I'm not enjoying this anymore, so I left. So 
I really only really know the Ellis version of it. And as far as Stormwatch goes, the best part of it was the first arc by oh, I forget the British writer's name. Um, oh, Paul Cornell. Yes. Yeah. And after that, it was okay, not as awesome. But then when issue nineteen, whenever was it Starlin? Yes, Starlin took over. Yeah. I, I never read those. I never read those. I didn't really read much of Stormwatch beyond the first few issues. I just didn't get a chance to. Um, 19 through whatever it was. 30? 30. Yeah. Not my cup of tea at all. So glad it was reverted at the end of the storyline, even though it looks like they're now going to do nothing with Stormwatch. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, it was Paul Cornell was, I think, yeah, he wrote, was he wrote, uh, Knight and Squire from the Batman Incorporated characters. He wrote, gave mm-hmm. them a six years mini. And I know he's done a couple of Doctor Who books. He did the intro to Demon Knights. That was good. Yeah, he did Demon Knights. He, I know he's also done some episodes of Doctor Who and Torchwood, I think, and he also did a couple episodes of uh, the other British show, Primeval. I like Paul Cornell. I think he's actually the one who wrote the book that the uh, the two part Doctor Who episode with uh, the human uh, the Family of Blood when he takes on human form in the in like the nineteen twelve and he's a yes. teacher. That was, that was his, based on uh, his, his novel. Book. Yeah, yeah, but I think it was like the seventh Doctor or eighth Doctor in the book. Right, just like um, Dalek was based on an, a big finished story with another doctor. Yeah, but that was his. That's his stuff. So yeah, I like him. I like his stuff. Um, but the only other thought I had in this issue is that the next, you know, this is the this next issue is the final issue. But you wouldn't really be able to tell that from the next issue box. The High Evolutionary returns. When comes Memorax? There's just nothing really very. It's yeah. kind of anticlimactic. It's not like we're at the end now. They just kind of feel like, yeah, there's more coming. Be here in 60 days. But that is the issue. Yes, and that was it. So stuff did happen, though. I mean, we kind of resolved the Brute stuff, and unfortunately, Doom is gone. Doom is gone. Brute's resolved. Um, You know, the storyline as it is is pretty much come to a wrap. We just got to, you know, do the next chapter of the, the Warlock saga and continue the... We were, if we're going to do a Christ analog, we have to build towards a particular event, and yes. it's, it's time to do that now. Yes, and that will be coming, but not in that issue. Not in eight. Nope. Uh... No, no, that that comes in Hulk. The big if I'm if you're think if you're talking about what I think you're talking about the big thing that happens to Christ towards yeah the end. yeah no, I know I know I know that happens in Hulk. I thought we don't we, don't we start building toward it next issue? Do we have the reveal? Of the bad guy next issue? I think that's the last page from what I remember. Okay. So I mean, finally we can stop dancing around the whole thing. And next issue we can say, okay, this is the one. Yeah, but I think it's like very much to the end. It's almost like they didn't, I mean, I'm trying to remember, but I think it's almost like they didn't realize the book was ending. Hmm. It's almost, because it almost, from what I remember, and we'll find out next episode when I read it, reread it again finally. But from what I remember, it's almost like, you know, he was planning nine, and they told him, no, there's no nine. But I wrote eight like there was nine. Oh, well, too bad. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Reprints! And this issue has not been reprinted many places, but you can still get it easily enough. It is in Essential Warlock Volume 1, if you like black and white, although I'm not sure how easy it is now, because I believe Marvel has stopped doing the Essentials. Yeah, they so, have. It's a little harder to find, I think, might possibly. 
but if you can't find that or you don't want black and white, you can always look for the Marvel Masterworks Warlock Volume 1. Or really go after the original issues because they're not that hard to get. No. Or you can go, go, go digital. They are available for a buck ninety nine at comicology.com or on the get a subscription to the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited website or app. And you can find it on there. You know, it's been hinted that they might be bringing Warlock into the Marvel Cinematic Universe somehow, some way, with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Because yes. people have suggested that his, uh, cocoon. his cocoon was seen in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Whether that's true or not is... is it was something uh, that looks like his cocoon, but doesn't mean it has to be. But if he is going to be in the MCU, the issues are going to go up in price. Yes. So if you're thinking about buying Warlock back issues... You definitely don't want to wait too long on that. Yeah. Basically, anyone they've announced that they have their movies coming out for, if you were looking to get earlier issues of them, it's probably now a good time. Yeah. Speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, the Hugo finalist nominations have been announced, and Guardians of the Galaxy is in contention for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form. Um, There are five films, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Edge of Tomorrow, Guardians of the Galaxy, Interstellar, and the Lego Movie. I've only seen two of them so far, and as far as I know, I think there's only one more I really should be watching. I've seen all of those except for Edge of Tomorrow, which I've heard good things about, so I plan to watch. Which one's Edge of Tomorrow? That's the one that was Killed, I Repeat with Tom Cruise. Oh! Okay, yeah, all you need is, it was based on the, the it was based on a manga, all you need is Kill. Yes. Oh, okay, never mind, then I definitely, from what I understood, I wanted to see four, I wanted to see four of them, I've seen two so far. I've loved everything on that list except for five minutes of Interstellar. I love Interstellar except for five minutes of it. I don't know. There was something, I saw the previews for it. I was just like, it just something about it to me went like, eh, it does look kind of boring. It is slow moving. It's old format sci-fi movie. So it's more along the lines of 2001? Yeah. Only with more drama and pathos than 2001 had. I do admit, I do like 2001 enough, so maybe I will watch that, but I think I'm going to try to see Lego Movie first. And, yeah, uh, like, it's like movies worth seeing. Those are those are more you know easy entertainment, but Interstellar is you know it feels like a pre Star Wars sci fi movie. It, it's it's well done. So that'll be my list. But obviously, I've seen Guardians. I have Guardians. <laughs> but if you um, Guardians, go watch Guardians. Yes, go watch Guardians. It's 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 required viewing. And Captain America: Winter Soldier too, because that's also awesome. Yes. So, but anyway. Back on topic. So we did a reprint, so it's time for the Friends and Enemies. So this book was had a cover date of August of 1973. So we're going to tell you all the Marvel books that had a publication date of August 1973 that either Adam or Thanos had appeared in before. Not counting, you know, Captain Marvel, because we're talking about that on a whole episode. Right, right. And August 1973, and just bring it up on Mike's cover date, right? Yep, so we have four of them. Okay, which four? We have uh, issues each of FF, Hulk, Iron Man, and Thor. So who do you want? I want Hulk and Thor. All right, hold on a second, and I'm going to send John the information of these. Okay, there's everything. 
So first up, we have The Incredible Hulk, issue 166, which is during the Steve Englehart run with Herb Trimpey doing the art. It's called The Destroyer from the Dynamo. When a shocking new monster is created by accident, it falls to the Hulk to stop him. However, a glory-hungry ex-Avenger feels compelled to get in on the action as well. Meanwhile, the rescue of Thunderbolt Ross finally gets underway. And so I'm looking at the cover on this, and we have Hulk, like, fighting this big lava monster. And it says at the bottom, it, the thing from the dynamo. And you don't see the ex-Avenger on the cover, but turns out that that is Hawkeye, who has recently left the Avengers to try to make a name for himself. And he ends up uh, joining the Defenders just in time to fight the Avengers in the Avengers-Defenders War. So it's a uh, it's it's a weird place with a lot of um, uh, a lot of goings on for Hawkeye, but he's in this issue as well. And then we have Thor issue yep. two hundred fourteen by Jerry Conway with John Buscema doing the art because John Buscema was at the height of his game during this period. Into the Dark Nebula. Following their only lead, Thor and the others set out into the heart of the Dark Nebula in the hopes of finding Sif and Carnilla. What they find there will stagger the mind. Dun, and I'm wondering dun, if, dun. There's, if there's something more to it than the 4D man, because he's the one who's on the cover. Oh, he is? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I really need to start reading these issues. I, I'm going to do that for the next, starting next episode. I want to start reading the issues that are going to be in the Friends and Enemies. Yes. So Thor versus the 4D man. 4D man is using his two different kinds of uh, hand blasts and Thor has knocked them away with his hammer. It's a pretty awesome cover um, with because uh, all of their friends and compatriots are um, prostrate around them on the ground, including um, some sort of metal boob girl. Metal boob girl. Yeah. Okay. And then we also have Fantastic Four, number 137, by Roy Thomas and the aforementioned John Buscema. Rumble on Planet 3. The FF remain trapped in a strange dream world while conflict boils around them. It will take all their strength to gather their senses and begin to make sense of their predicament. It's not really much of a description at all, is it? And No, not This really. is a weird cover. So we have on the cover, we have, this is Medusa as a member. And we have Medusa, the torch, and the thing fighting. Oh, and there's, there's Reed. He's in there too. Fighting what looks like, I want to say a giant gorilla with a robot head that looks with like lots it, of pins sticking out like a mine. It looks, yeah, it looks like it's head, the head is made out of a mine. Like, like the mines that, you, not a, not like a landmine, but like one of the mines they, they would put in the ocean, like in World War Two. The Finding Nemo mines. Yeah, with uh, but apparently there one there's one that should be the nose and it shoots lasers. If a if Titano and Pinhead from Hellraiser had a baby. Yeah, but they didn't like the Pinhead baby head, and they put a metal and yeah, Titano, it, has like the, it has like the things sticking out of it, like Pinhead. Yeah, well, I was gonna say actually, if Titano and Pinhead had a baby, and then they decided to make their baby the Man in the Iron Mask. Hmm, yeah. That fits this one. And then who else do we have? And then we also have Iron Man 61 by Mike Friedrich, which we just read his issue here. 
and George Tuska. Death kneels over Detroit. The Marauder has captured Iron Man and transforms Stark's shuttle into a ballistic missile. As he holds Detroit ransom, only Iron Man is in a position to stop him. Because the Justice League hasn't taken up residence in Detroit yet. The masked Marauder, the most useless secret identity from early Daredevil. <laughs> I guess it's the same guy? I don't know, but it's just one of those things where by the time they finally got around to revealing his secret identity, nobody cared anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great costume. It's just all blue with an even darker blue underwear section. Mm-hmm. Purple pirate boots, purple gloves, and a purple cape, and a weird-looking, kind of a funky mask. Yeah, it's... I mean, it looks like it's just a plain... It looks like the hood just... It looks like it's just a hood that connects to his cape, but the way the goggles are, they're so huge, it looks like they take up half his face. It's a really weird look for him, because, right, it is very pedestrian and very nondescript. It's yeah. just a bunch of dark color. Um, but in the, you know, Marvel did several like protracted masked bad guys to get you trying to guess who the bad guy was. The most famous of these was the green goblin. Uh, he was probably the most successful, but they're also like, I would say the crime. You would say he is, I would say he's the most successful. I think there's also like the man in the crime master's mask. There was the master planner. There was the masked marauder and all these mystery villains that Marvel's playing with in the sixties. And I, yeah, I would say all those definitely the green goblin. And then I would say the master planner, because considering who the master planner was and it wasn't yeah. just, a, it wasn't just a supporting character. It was actually a whole nother identity. And the master planner succeeds not because he's the master planner, but because he's Dr. Octopus. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's not just, oh, like, even with the Green Goblin, the fact that it was Norman Osborn, you know, that's one thing. But the fact that the master planner was Dr. Octopus, you know, that's a whole, you know, it's like a, it was somebody else completely. You know, it wasn't just, oh, my God, it's, uh, you know, st- it's, uh, what's that game? Stillwell. Um, right. The big man. Foswell. Foswell. Frederick Foswell. That's who I'm thinking of. But, you know, I mean, like, that's like, oh, my God, it's a supporting character. But that's one thing. But when you, you know, it's kind of like the end of Thunderbolts 1, when you find out that, you know, Citizen V is, spoilers for 20 years ago, Baron Zemo. Dun, dun, dun. Is that who Citizen V is? Okay. Uh, I knew Baron Zemo was the guy in Thunderbolts. I didn't know he went by Citizen V. I was looking up. I was looking up some stuff from Captain America uh, in my reading list and everything. I kept coming across the Citizen V thing. Like, who is Citizen V? Oh, okay. sorry. I thought, I thought you knew that. Oh, no, I knew that the reveal at the end was Baron Zemo. Okay. I just didn't know. Yeah. I, I didn't have the Citizen V name linked to it. Yeah, he's Citizen V. Yeah, it's like him. It's like Meteorite is Moonstone. Mach 1 right. is Beetle. Right. And so all those heroes turn out to be... And I knew about those villains in there. I just haven't read the actual issue. But I've seen the name Citizen V, and I had no idea what the context was for that. Now I know. Yeah. So that works. Well, sweet. Okay, so is that our friends and enemies? Yep, that's it. Just the four, because there's no pro- Marvel premiere comes out the same month as Captain Marvel. Gotcha. So, yeah, not here. And then the only other book would be Captain Marvel, and we're talking about that in other episodes. So we don't really need to do that here. Well, next time we get together, it'll be the final issue of Warlock, and yes. then I'll be taking a break from the show for a short while. And then, yep, and then he'll be back doing Hulk episodes. With Adam Warlock. Of course. And I'll be taking another break from the show for a while. <laughs> no, because Thanos wraps, is wrapped up by then, and we'll be moving on into the Starlin stuff, right? Yeah. 
So, so that'll be good. Yeah, the Starlin stuff is going to be both war. Then it's going to be both Warlock and Adam in both the same issues, pretty much. Ooh. In Strange Tales and the revival of the Warlock series. Okay. Okay. Looking forward to that. That's oh, going to yeah. be good stuff. Well, yeah, because that's the good Warlock stuff that everyone remembers. <laughs> well, I mean, this stuff and has been fun. To be fair, I've had some. I've had the, this stuff has been much more enjoyable than I thought it would have been originally. Yeah, no, it's been good. And Starlin takes this whole Christ analog thing a really, really interesting place before he kind of sets it aside and decides to do other things with the character. But there's some really interesting commentary to be made, uh, religio-historical commentary to be made on the setup for Starlin's warlock. Yeah, and that's also the stuff that leaves seeds for stuff that ends up, you know, going into like all the Infinity Gauntlet stuff. Right. You know, that's the version of the character that everyone knows and still refers to. As opposed to this version, which kind of is, once this gets done, it's kind of gone. You know, it really is. And Infinity War is the is the Warlock that I met. Like, that's where I met Warlock. So that's, you know, a couple years from now, as far as our podcast goes. But that's... Oh, yeah. I'm really anxious to get to... Not anxious, but I'm really eager to get to the 90s stuff. It, it, it's just... It's kind of like any long-term podcast. There's so many different eras and milestones and 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 parts that you're wanting to get to. Oh yeah, because like I want to get to that the the end of the first Starlin run with that Avengers mm-hmm. annual and the Marvel Two One annual, and right. then of course I want Infinity Gauntlet because that's was my first real introduction was Infinity Gauntlet One, and then they had around that time they did a six issue reprint series which reprinted all the for the most part all of the Starlin uh, Strange Shells issues and. Uh, Warlock issues and then the wrap up. And the '80s basically just won't exist for us on this show. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be like a few. We're gonna be doing because they don't really appear that many places. We're gonna do all the random little cameo appearances of Warlock and Thanos, and uh, even like if they appear in a flashback. That'll so we'll have a few '80s issues, and there's in fact three issues of Marvel Team Up. I'm sorry, Marvel Two and One, which will wrap up the Counter Earth itself. So we're gonna do those. I'm gonna do those. But that's all far in the future. But yeah, that's at least another year or so in the future. For now, just knowing that next episode is going to be me and Brian finishing up Captain Marvel 27 and going to 28. And then the episode after that will be John back for the Warlock number 8, the end of this run. Yay. Oh, and before we finish off, we have an email to read. I love email. Yes. Actually, I do have other emails going to read, but I'm going to push that off till the next one. This is a newer one, but it... It's uh, not a, just a general re- email. It actually has a specific topic. That's why I want to read it now. So let me bring that up real quick. Okay. This is from a guy. Now, I've never heard of this this person. W. Blaine Dowler? I don't I know. Think it's, I think it's pronounced Bloiny. Uh, okay. That's it. <laughs> Hi, Blaine. What's so, up, Blaine? Anyway, and just in case anyone doesn't know, Blaine Dowler is the person responsible for the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels podcast, which both John and I have been on at least two or three times already, probably. The podcast that came from a random idle musing on the internet that, like, everyone responded to. And it's like, oh, I guess this is going to happen then. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow John and I ended up at, like, what, several episodes each? Because we're crazy. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I'm still I, reading Clone Saga issues to try to get to the end of that story. <laughs> uh, the Clone Saga is so big. Yeah, I'm just catching up on the show It's So Itself now, and I was just listening to the uh, issue for FF, like I think it was 262 or 261 with Andrew Leyland. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because they just kept one of the things they kept talking about, like issues they weren't sure why they're on the list, is the Incredible Hulk 181 first Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And I just recorded that episode with Blaine about a week ago. Ah, okay. Well, good. I just kept laughing every time they're like, you know, they kept mocking it. I'm like, thanks. Well, I am down to fewer than 50 Clone Saga issues left, so that's good. So, yes, if you guys have not listened to that show, give it a listen. 75 Greatest Marvel, the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast. Yes, Blaine's a good guy. Blaine's a great guy, actually. Both John and I are on a couple times, so, I mean, if you're listening to this, you must like us somewhat, so you can listen to more of us. Plus, you got a lot of other good podcasters on there. And you're, every single episode, you're going to hear about something that's important to Marvel history. Yes. Even if we're not always in agreement that it's a great story, greatest, one of the greatest stories, they're at least important issues. Yeah. You can say good that. Good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so Blaine writes in, he says, the title of the email is, No Prize Attempt at Nice Counter-Earth Doom. Hi, guys. Going to be terse since I'm already kind of late for work. My no prize attempt at why Counter-Earth Doom was a nice guy. He was on the path to being a nicer guy before meeting Reed, as you mentioned. The Doom of the original Earth was raised by his father, Werner, after his mother, Cynthia, died, using gypsy magic to overthrow a tyrannical leader after making a deal with Mephisto. Does anyone say happily married after making a deal with that guy? No. No, evidently not. No. Anyway, on Counter-Earth, there are no super people aside from the Brute, so it's likely that the gypsy culture never learned magic, and she never died in that confrontation. Without the painful loss of a parent, Counter-Earth Victor would inevitably become a different man. That, then, is my stab at a no-prize. Cynthia Von Doom is alive, and Victor's childhood has significantly greater quantities of sunshine and rainbows. Blaine. And hopefully some puppies. Yes. And... I didn't think that far back, but yeah, that makes sense. There would be no real magic on this world. So she never would have become a sorceress. No, I like that because it, it does take into account, you know, the entire history of the character. Um, and I don't know enough about Doom's history to have thought of that. So I'm glad that he brought that to the table. So, yeah, from what I know of Doom, that makes sense. And if his mother were, the odds are that his mother might not have died and she didn't die. I mean, that's always been one of his great motivations. Right. Is, you know learning what his mother did and then trying to rescue her soul. So, I mean, if his mother had been around and hopefully was a happy, you know, was in a happy marriage, they would have produced, potentially produced a happier child. I like that. And it's not like it it doesn't interfere with his intellect or the things he did. Right. So, you know, even if they had a tyrannical leader in his country, he still could have done things to protect his gypsy, you know, family, like he did in the regular Marvel Universe. I mean, Marvel Earth. And then he would yeah. ditch them anyway to go to university like he did like he did there. Works for me. Yeah, so cool. I would give Blaine a no prize. Okay, so that no prize will not be on its way as soon as you don't listen to this uh, podcast. Wait. Right. Or wrong. <laughs> yes. Now I feel like we're trying to do bizarro speak. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm not sure what the answer is anymore. But whatever you think it should be, Blaine, that's what the answer is. Well, that's a good email. Thank you for writing. Yes, thank you. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues. It later changed its name, first to Alice Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. 
the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31st, 2014 to June 1st, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. And if you want to have yourself so famous on the internet by sending in an email, you can send an email to resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, and we will read it. You can tell me how awesome I am and that you want me to on the show forever. Or, you know, truthful things. One or the other. Yeah. Uh, we like the lies. We're fine with that. <laughs> as long as they feed our egos. Exactly. And speaking of feeding our egos, John, I believe you can be found in other places on the internet. Where can they find you? Um, well, I have done a podcast or two before in my life besides this one. Yes. Once and again. currently the active project I am most devoted to is the Avengers Inspirations podcast, which I do with my daughter, Lily Wilson, who is my, my 13 year old ball of sarcasm. <laughs> yes, and she is. <laughs> she is a great podcasting co-host and a great listen uh listening value. I enjoy going back and hearing our shows that she is on. Um we are talking about all of the comics that involve characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, uh starting with Ant-Man and the Hulk and moving forward with Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, Spider-Man, the Avengers, it's it's all there. Um our release schedule is not as regular as I would like because we're constantly dealing with school and, you know, other things that, that kids get involved in, but it is definitely something worth listening to. It can be found at the complete Marvel reading order website, which you can do a Google search for or go, or go to the uh, website cmro.travis-starns.com and clicking the podcasts tab. So that is where we are. Yes. And let me just say, people, John is not just being, oh, my you know, parent, oh, my child is so talented or wonderful, even though their t- child isn't. I was listening to his show before I even knew John, you know, talked to John at all on a personal level. And this was like, what, two, three years ago the show started? So she was like 11? Uh, yeah, she was 11 when we started. And she was damn entertaining then, and she's just gotten better. She's actually gotten older. She, she's, like a, she's like a wine that you don't feed to 10-year-olds. Yes. <laughs> so it is well worth listening. better with age. Yes, it is well worth listening to. And it's a fun different perspective. Because as opposed to the two of us, we have it's a it's a female perspective and also one who is now a teen. So it's, it's a completely just, different perspective on this. So it's it, it's fun just to hear that. She'll have points that neither what me or John would ever think of. And it's also just fun to to have 
comics that were written for kids being reacted to by somebody who, you know, is despite the fact she wouldn't want me to, to, to call her that because she's 13 and 13 girls don't like to be thought of as kids. Oh, God, but it's no. kind of the age group that they, that the comics are written for. So it's, it's fun stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. Don't let her hear that I called her a kid. Cause yeah, no, I remember that age. You want to think you're, you, it's like you want to think you go from 11, 12 to 21. Right. And it's like, no, you're not. No, yeah. And then you look back and you go, oh my god, I was such an ass. <laughs> or, I'm so awesome. Oh, that comes back later. No, that, the, the thought was, god, I was such an ass, but I'm awesome now. Yes. And then when you're 30, god, I was an ass when I was 21, but I'm awesome now. <laughs> the grass is always greener in the present as opposed to the past. Yes. Well, no one wants to think, God, I was awesome then, but I'm such an ass now. It's like you're looking at your pictures of your kids. Oh, my gosh, you were so cute. What happened? (laughs) Okay, have fun in therapy. (laughs) But anyways. And on that note, I think it's time to bring this to an end. So you know where to find John, and he will be back here in two episodes. So be back here to hear him again. Or die. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. I'm creeped out now. I'm going to go hide. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You may have noticed that this episode is a little late because it is very early May, and this should have been out in early April. Sorry. Anyway, in case you have not seen messages on the Facebook page or Tumblr page, and if not, that means you're not going there, so shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. Anyway, uh, there's been some personal stuff going on. Nothing horrible, but it's been taking a lot of time away from being able to edit the show. So, that's why this episode's late, and actually, that's going to be going on until at least mid-July. So, hopefully I'll be able to explain what it actually is next time just to have it out there and not be cryptic. Nothing horrible. No one's dying. I'm not dying. Knock on wood. But anyway, so for now, this is the actual schedule plan. This is the only episode we're going to have out of May. The next episode, 28, which will be Brian and I talking about Captain Marvel, will be the early June and will be the only June episode. And then John will be back for Warlock number eight, and that will be our only July episode in early July. Hopefully then, all this stuff should be done, or settled at least enough, by mid-July for me, that starting in August, we can go back to twice a month. There's a slim chance that I might have an issue with that and have to push that back till September, but I should know by July, hope by the July episode, hopefully, and let you know that. Alright, thank you for sticking with us, and thank you for downloading this, and we will see you next month. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com.
Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. I've been reading a lot of Captain America lately. You know this. The listeners don't know it, but yes. lots of Captain America lately. John's been on a cap kick. I have reasons. I can't talk about them yet, but they're there. He has reasons. They're crazy reasons. <laughs> but I am trying to read all of Captain America over the course of the next year. Oh, so, you know, just a small reading project. Right, right. He's appeared once or twice. Nothing too major. I can't wait to get to the wolf part. <laughs> I was a wolf once. Cap Wolf, Streets of Poison, Heroes Reborn, all the important stuff. That's right. You don't you don't really listen to Comic Geek speak at all. I forgot. They have a, no, I, I doubt. They have a guy who's called in, although he hasn't done it in a while. But he calls in and as like a character, they don't even know who he really is. But he calls in as Drunk Cap, as like a drunk <laughs> like Cap America who's drunk and he'll start talking to them and he'll start talking to them, like leave these rambling calls like he's hammered. And he starts talking about how, like, your grandma, was she was a goer, you kids. He starts acting like he's talking to kids in the 40s, you know, like, with your little radio show. You know, I was a wolf once. <laughs> Honestly, if you don't even listen to anything else of theirs, if you get a chance, just look up on their feed and just look for the episode that say Drunk Cap. Sometimes they'll just have whole episodes just devoted to his phone calls. Nice. That sounds fun. And it's... It's freaking hilarious. But that's what I think every time Cap Wolf comes up, that's all I can think of my hear in my head is that. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to put a link up to that in the show note. To the, they have one episode I know they did. They put a, collected a lot of his calls and put them in together. Okay, here's your cold open. You ready? Okay. I want to see the version of Back to the Future where Marty gets back to 1985 and his brother is just feet. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to use that, but there it is. <laughs> well, it's going in there somewhere. 